Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. like Kinshasa or like Miami after a rainstorm, but it was hot. Didn't bother me, though. I was three-piece down doing what I do with my law students down at Loyola Law School today. Much love to Wushi and everybody down there. Thank you for the love, Jason and the crew. Uh, this is for my law students who are down there every Thursday getting ready for their mock trials. That takes place April 9th. I will definitely make the announcements and locations. Y'all come check it out. Maybe I'll broadcast in their live. Uh, come show your support. Come meet me in person. People, what is happening out there? I want to give a shout-out to those guys over there at uh, Sacred Drum Theater Company. They had a groove, a little soiree for Maison Blanc that took place, I believe, this past Sunday, am I correct? Or was it Saturday? Things are kind of hazy right now. It has been a long, been a long day. But this past weekend, it was nice seeing their pilot. They screened it for the masses. Good turnout. A lot of people were there. It was crisp. So right now, I understand, according to Abu and a few of the people, uh, there are a couple of networks, a couple of people, uh, producers, uh, stations interested in their product. It's crisp, clean, righteous. Isn't stereotypical. Doesn't have us, you know, chasing the Lion King and Mufasa and all that stuff through the bush. Want to give a special shout out to Bamajan Bamba, my man from Cote d'Ivoire, who was down there. We talked briefly. I hope I don't. I'm hoping to get him on air tonight. He is from Cote d'Ivoire. You know, he has some things to say. He's been posting things up on his Facebook page for those that are interested in the culture of what's been going on over there in Cote d'Ivoire. I want you to look him up. You can look up uh, Bambajan, B-A, B as in Bob, A, M as in Mary, B as in boy, A, D as in David, J, A, N. Last name is Bamba, one of the founding members of Sacred Drum Theater Company out here in Los Angeles. If you want to know more about what's going on in the Ivory Coast, a.k.a. Cote d'Ivoire, he is from the homeland. That is his culture. Shushuman email 
Tony got it for me, asking questions. He can give you the insight. Cool people, much love. People, what is happening? Much has been going on over there in the west coast of the continent of Africa. If you want to reach out to me, you can come to me live and direct at this number, one six four six five nine five two eight nine two one six four six five nine five two eight nine two. Uh, we'll try to get all the calls in. We had a problem with our circuit last time, so we couldn't take any calls in, though we were able to call out. You'll also, if you're hearing me live on air, you can check me out on the chat page. Just click on the home page that you're seeing in front of me. Go to the chat. And you can email questions that way. Remember, the chat room is ghosts, so that way you only see yourself. You may see one or two other people, but essentially I do that, so that way it avoids arguments that tend to pop out. We talk about things that do with politics and what have you. Uh, last week we had a, we had approximately, if I recall correctly, 430 people on our on our chat room. How that was possible, I don't know. But I wasn't complaining. I was trying to say hello to a few folks. We have folks coming in and out. So today, Court d'Ivoire, what has been happening? Battle, Court d'Ivoire. Never again, again. The sands are burning in North Africa while the bush smolders in Cote d'Ivoire. Let's talk about it. People, much has been happening since our last show. Apparently, the supporters of the newly elected president is on the move militarily and has taken the capital. But let me be quiet. Let's ask this question that many people have asked about Cote d'Ivoire. And then what we'll do is we'll go back. And we'll come up to what's happening today. So bear with me. So I can at least give you a little backstory. So when I come to our conclusion, when our show is over tonight, you'll know exactly what is happening. So let's go on to, if we have the information queued up as our producer assistant extraordinaire has always been on top of things. That would be Shoella over here in the cut. How are you? She's waving to you all out there. Also, I want to say a special thanks to all the people last week were tuning in from Miami. I didn't know so many of you guys were down there. I don't know you guys got me down there in terms of the airwaves. So, anyways, let's go to what was spoken this weekend on Meet the Press by Todd Cobble, and then we'll go backwards and we'll come forward. Let's hear what he has to say about the humanitarian defense that was used in regards to Libya, and a lot of people from Cote d'Ivoire, even Congo, asking, well, Libya, what about Congo, Sudan, Cote d'Ivoire? Let's give this a listen, people. Uh, we just heard this discussion, particularly the Secretary of Defense, saying that this campaign in Libya is not in America's vital interest. Questions laid out by Senator Luger and criticism, pretty high stakes for the president who's about to address the nation about it all. Yes, and I don't think he's going to be able to answer the central question. You asked the right question in talking about the, uh, the national interest. Uh, the question hasn't yet been answered as to why it is that Libya of all countries in that region, has won the humanitarian defense sweepstakes of 2011. Uh, we have seen many countries, both in that region and throughout the world, where civilian loss and civilian suffering has been much, much greater. Congo, for the past 12 years, we've lost about 5 million people. Uh, Sudan, 2 to 3 million people. Never any talk of military intervention. Take a look at what's going on in the Ivory Coast today. Secretary Clinton was talking about the number of refugees that might have come out of a Gaddafi attack on Benghazi. You've got 700,000 refugees in the Ivory Coast right now, close to a million in fact. Uh, why, why Libya? Hasn't been answered. Do you think Savannah... There we go. 
now is this tech couple and is only stating himself, asking that question. Why is it Libya? Why is Libya getting all the love? I mean, what exactly? And what happened to Cote d'Ivoire? We have over a million refugees fleeing the, fleeing the country into the border country. People talking about a possible civil war. So can someone ask me that question? Because he's asking that question. That's been on everybody's mind. Why Libya? What exactly is the situation? Particularly when you notice, when you see right now that the airstrikes, Gaddafi's, uh, his loyalists have figured out a way to combat the airstrikes. So now it becomes, what's going to happen now? France is pushing the issue. But again, let's come down to Corteva. Again, I believe you heard, I gave you a clip last week. President Obama spoke to the people of Corteva, I believe, a little over a week ago. Let's hear what he has to say. President Obama. The eyes of the world are on Cote d'Ivoire. Last year's election was free and fair, and President Alassane Ouattara is the democratically elected leader of the nation. And I commend President Ouattara for offering a peaceful future for all Ivorians, an inclusive government, reunification, and reconciliation. Now Cote d'Ivoire is at a crossroad, and two paths lay ahead. One path is where Laurent Gbagbo and his supporters cling to power, which will only lead to more violence, more innocent civilians being wounded and killed, and more diplomatic and economic isolation. Or Cote d'Ivoire can take another path where Bagbo follows the example of leaders who reject violence and abide by the will of the people, where Ivorians reclaim your country and rebuild a vibrant economy that was once the admiration of Africa, and where Cote d'Ivoire is welcomed back into the community of nations. This is the choice that must be made, and it's a choice for all Ivorians. So I want to close by speaking directly to the people of Cote d'Ivoire. You have a proud past, from gaining your independence overcoming civil war. Now you have the opportunity to realize your future. You deserve a future of hope, not fear. You deserve leaders, like President Ouattara, who can restore your country's rightful place in the world. You deserve the chance to determine your own destiny. It's time for democracy in Cote d'Ivoire, and those who choose that path will have a friend and partner in the United States of America. That would be President Obama speaking eloquently to the people. I will definitely, I would love to know how, you know, when I remember when I, uh, the, the, this clip was available, uh, Brother Obama put on his face, he, on his uh, Facebook page, put a link up. He was very happy. He was, uh, he was really, I, from what I could tell, he was, he, the frustration, so let me come back this way. I understand the frustration, what it feels like when you see your country going through a crisis that's it's almost indescribable. Yet you see people talk about crises in other places of the world that were nowhere on that level of what you're witnessing. It's not comparing, well, you know, what is better than this, what is better than that. Is this a situation of you're seeing your country going through stress, trauma, and yet you're seeing countries going through less, getting more? And you have to ask yourself that question, why is it? Some people will say it's the oil. Some people will say it's this. Who knows what's going through the minds of President Obama? If I can get him on air, I'll definitely let you know what's going on. Now, people... Y'all, uh, Watara, you've heard also about Bagbo, and I think you've heard in, your, in their own words what the scenario is. So let's do it like this before we take a break in the next few minutes. Let's see if we can get, if we have it queued already. Do we have that back there in the link? Is it already ready to go? Yes, we do. Let's have a conversation. Let's hear an exclusive. I believe it was on Euro, Euro News, if I was correct. Am I correct? Yes, Euro News. Let's hear from the let's hear from President Bagbo 
who lost in this election. It's an exclusive from Bureau News. I believe we have this in French with an English uh, voiceover, if I'm correct. Let's give us a listen. The United Nations says Ivory Coast is on the brink of civil war after the country's disputed presidential election on November the 28th. The international community recognizes Alassane Ouattara as the winner. But the incumbent, Laurent Gbagbo, has refused to quit. He argues that he is the country's rightful president as the Ivorian Constitutional Council declared him the victor. Gbagbo gave this exclusive interview to Euronews' François Chignac in Abidjan. It's been over a month since the Independent Electoral Commission declared your rival Alassane Ouattara as the winner of the presidential election. Days later, the Constitutional Council announced that you had won. Ivory Coast is facing its worst political crisis for years. Where's the country right now? It must be understood that this was an illegitimate result which was prematurely declared by a body which had no right to do so. It's on this point that the West is digging its heels in. After the vote, the Constitutional Council meets and then gives the result. It declares who is the elected president, and that was me. It's not open to debate. What the West is arguing for is not legal. It's imposing the will of the powerful on somebody else. I don't agree with it. The EU is questioning your legitimacy. The European Union just follows what France does. Amongst today's great global powers, each has its own sphere of influence. When it's something to do with Francophone sub-Saharan Africa, France speaks and the rest follow. France drafted all of the UN resolutions on Ivory Coast. We contested this several times, but we're a small country. We're not a nuclear power. We have no right to veto, and we've no seat at the UN Security Council. Your rival, Alassane Ouattara, has formed a government and appointed ambassadors. Ouattara's choice to be ambassador to France has been formally recognized. But France is wrong. France is wrong. You've spent 30 years in opposition during a long political career. Nicolas Sarkozy has given you an ultimatum to resign and leave the country. What's your message to the French president? It's simply unacceptable that a head of state, under the pretext that his country is more powerful than another, gives an ultimatum to one of his counterparts. Your opponents say that you're not a Democrat, that you're a dictator, and that you carried out an electoral hold-up. That you're responsible for a denial of democracy in these past weeks. What's your response? They are in no position to speak like that, as they're all holed up in that luxury hotel. They supported one-party rule when we were fighting for a multi-party system. Ouattara, Bédier... I was in prison when Ouattara was Prime Minister. Laurent Gbagbo, are you prepared to sacrifice the lives of Ivorians to justify your vision of democracy? 
It's not a question of sacrificing Ivorian lives. It's a more global question. But we're on the threshold of that. The situation here is tense. It's not the first time. You won't resign? Listen, I've been elected. You should ask that question to those who have not. If the international community continues to put pressure on you in the coming weeks, will you resign? But why would they continue with such unfair pressure? If there's violence in the streets, if there are atrocities committed by both sides, will you resign? By who? I've got a question that I'd like to ask, one that people don't ask enough. If I said I would leave office right now, who could provide an assurance that it would bring peace and that it would not bring even greater violence? If ECOWAS forces intervene, they'd be wrong. And if young Ivorians clash with those ECOWAS forces, will you resign? I will see, but it's not on the agenda for the moment. What's on the agenda is to negotiate. So we are negotiating. I ask myself why those who pretend to have beaten me oppose a recount of the votes. That's what I want to know. I ask those people to support a recount. So you accuse your rivals of committing the atrocities after the second round? Exactly. Have we beaten or mistreated people, even raped women, depending on whether they voted for Bagbo or not? It's a key question. When the UN representative for human rights points the finger at you, how do you respond? That's another question, a question to which I'd like to reply in some detail. What is the problem today in Ivory Coast? It's that we've held elections. The problem is knowing who won them. That's at the root of all this. I said that I am the winner because those bodies, which are the only ones with the authority to do so, declared me as such. The others will say otherwise. They can do that, but they can see it is without any legal basis. So, like in all these cases, when there's no debate over the essential question, which is who won the election, they go on about other matters to divert attention, like brandishing the issue of human rights. In 2000, when I was elected, it was the same scenario. They invented a tale about mass graves, blaming me for them. I ordered an investigation and we had an inquiry. We had a trial and the gendarmes who were accused were acquitted. Are the UN forces in Ivory Coast impartial? Not anymore. Since when? Since this last election. We thought they were impartial since about 2003, 2004, let's say. But from the moment when their chief who directly questions your legitimacy. I directly question their legitimacy. I think the people from the UN should be wiser. They know very well with the mounting tensions, which we blame them for, that the Ivorian government has asked them to leave. I told people not to attack them. 
I told them solemnly to leave them alone. We asked them to leave diplomatically, and we will get them to leave diplomatically. But they need to be a lot wiser. When those from abroad come and want to impose themselves because they have the possibility of force, well, look what happens. So Ivory Coast and Laurent Gbagbo are the victims of a foreign plot. I told the Ivorian people at the start of my campaign that they would have the choice between a candidate for Ivory Coast and a candidate for foreigners. Now that appears to be something of a caricature, but in fact it's the reality. Will this end up in a bloodbath? I hope not. I'm doing all I can so that doesn't happen. But maybe you won't be able to prevent it. I don't believe at all that there will be a civil war, but obviously if these pressures continue as they are, it will make confrontation more likely. Well, there we go. Oops, getting on the talking over the track there. Well, there we go. Hope that was a, a little insight into what he is thinking, the president, well, former president, uh, Bagbo. Now, uh, he had talked about uh, the issue of violence against women had came up. But before we do that, uh, actually, no, let's take, let's, let's get a little balance here. Let's also hear, you've heard from President Bagbo. Let's also hear, it's, ironic, it's odd saying it like, this way, correct? President Bagbo, President Watara. It's like, okay, now how are we going to clarify who's who? One says he lost the election, one said he won. All right? So let's give a little shout-out here. It's not as long as President Bagwell's clip, but I think it would be a little insight here. This is President Watara, who was gaining ground in what's taking place in, in Cote d'Ivoire today, in his conversation with Al Jazeera. This uh, man is being supported by a group of people, maybe 500 or 1,000, but as soon as the ECOWAS countries will start sending in jet, air, jet uh, uh, air, air force uh, jets, uh, boats and so forth, and troops. And Master Babu, I know him, he will run away. He will, and mercenaries come to do this job for money. They don't come to do this job to be killed. Now you yourself have said that you don't want any bloodshed, but isn't it inevitable that if there's military intervention, there'll be bloodshed? Quick intervention will save lives contrary to people who think that it will create problems. It will not create a civil strife. This is not true. The sooner we remove Mr. Babo, the better for Cote d'Ivoire, the better for West Africa. Now we've heard of these reports of abductions and killings and Long Bagbo has denied the presence of foreign mercenaries in this country. Now I'd like to know what's your response to that? Mr. Babo always uh, tells lies. Uh, for example, uh, when he appeared on television a few days ago, he said, well, I do not want the blood of a single Ivorian uh, to, be, uh, to be there. And well, he knows that mercenaries are killing people at night. Now, regarding negotiations or talking, is there a scenario in which you would consider talking without any preconditions? No, Mr. Babo has to recognize that he has lost the election. He knows he has lost the election. I know that he has lost the election. The Ivorian people know that he has lost the election and that he could not win 
an election where we have Mr. Bédier and myself allied. We represent 75% of the population. And now, because of uh, uh, an arbitrary decision of his constitutional council, he proclaims himself as president. You know, this is a dangerous precedent. A clip of President Watara on Al Jazeera. People, let's take a break here. This break here, but before, actually, let me come back. Let me come back. My apologies. Let me set this up. Violence did break out during this uh, recent clash between the two, and as often the case, too sadly, is that the women tend to suffer. In this case, there was a march some time ago by the women. Six were gunned down. Let's go to Reuters. Um, Reuters video, uh, hear what they have to say about this devastating uh, tragedy that took place during the Women's March. Again, I believe six were gunned down as they were peacing for, as they were marching for democracy. Here we go. Fury on the streets of Abidjan after Ivorian security forces shot dead seven women. Angry protesters burned tires shouting and waving sticks and knives as the acrid black smoke rises around them. Thursday's incident took place as women gathered for a planned march to call an incumbent president, Laurent Gbagbo, to step down. Our mothers went out to march peacefully with their hands empty. Then we saw Bagbo's tanks that came and opened fire on all women. Killing at least six on the spot, seven dead in all after another died in the car. We are ready. As we don't have the means to defend ourselves, we managed to prepare some bombs. So we are waiting for Bagba's elements, and this time we will finish with them. There has been no official comment on the incident, although a military source confirmed the shooting but said it was an accident. Later, the UN expressed deep concern about the events, while Ivory Coast's ambassador warned of a genocide in the making. Today, I will reiterate it, the genocide is the making. They are killing people along ethnic lines. They are killing for, uh, national from uh, foreign countries, uh, for neighboring countries. They are killing people who are opposed to Mr. Bagu. That's not acceptable today in the 21st century, where elsewhere the people are taking their responsibility and asking for more democracy, more freedom. That's not acceptable. The power struggle between presidential claimant Alassane Ouattara and Bagbo, who has rejected widespread calls to step down after a November 28th election, has already claimed some 365 lives and could push the country back into civil war. Travis Brecker, Reuters. Seven women gunned on. It's tragedy when you see when, when, when the innocent have to pay for the egos of others. People, take our first commercial break. Uh, we're going on the uh, almost 30 minutes here and haven't got my first commercial break in, so let's get that in. Today is going to be sponsored, this break is going to be sponsored by the producers of I Will Follow, a great movie that's on the scene right now. You got to check it out. It was the, It's uh, written, directed, and produced by Miss Ava. DuVernay, again, that's Ava DuVernay, great film. 
the one thing about this one is, that really stands out is that the film was made in 15 days with her own money. Why? Because she wanted to keep it down. Uh, she wanted to keep it under fifty thousand dollars for the budget. And how she did that? She did it by staying in one location. She said she put she footed the bill herself. She produced the movie because she knew in Hollywood it would have taken forever for that movie to get made. It's, it's a, a month-long theatrical engagement right now. It's in its final week in L.A. What you want to do for those in L.A. on the West Coast, West Side, throw it up. You can meet the filmmakers. They have a Meet the Filmmakers series. It's exclusively at the AMC Universal City Walk. And there you can learn how I Will Follow Team made the critically acclaimed low-budget film on a shoestring. I don't even think it was on a shoestring. I think it was just on a, like, uh, string. All right? Here's some real information for you guys. Friday, April 1st, there's a post-screening Q&A with writer-director Ava DuVernay and executive producer Howard Barish. It's going to be moderated by Jennifer Williams of of Organization of Black Screenwriters. Saturday, April 2nd, there'll be a post-screening Q&A with with the writer-director, Ms. DuVernay, and the production designer, Jennifer Spence, costume designer, Kate Mailer, and key hair and makeup department head, Wanda Morris. It's going to be moderated by Kim Adelman of Female Filmmakers Collaborative. That is Saturday, April 2nd. Also, Sunday, April 3rd, there'll be a post-screening Q&A with Miss Davernay. Oh, Davernay, let me get the name correctly. Awesome writer, awesome director, and stellar producer. Editor, Spencer Averick, and sound designer, Kunal Wuhan. That's actually R-U-J-A-N. I'm pronouncing it Wuhan. It's going to be moderated by Dennis Dorch, writer, director, editor of Sundance Selection. A good day to be black and sexy. The Q&A following each evening's Twilight screening at 4.50 p.m. will be held at AMC Universal City Walk. Go check out the website, www. You don't have to say www, but you're right anyways. Iwillfollowfilm.com, or you can go to www.affrmasinmary.com. Again, the website are www.iwillfollowfilm.com. Dot com. Also, www.affrm.com. I was thinking about that song, I Will Follow Him. It was kind of a tongue-tongue twister for me. Listen, Roger Ebert called I Will Follow, and quote, one of the best films I've seen about coming to terms with the loss of loved one, directed by Ava DuVernay. It isn't sentimental. It isn't superficial. It is very deeply true as it was spoken about on Ebert Presents. You can check out YouTube, Vimeo. There's so many places you can check out this film. People, I will follow him. Now I have to give a shout-out to Bill Wynn for bringing this production to my attention. People, there you go. Check it out. Show the love. Now, our first commercial break was brought to you by the writer, director, and producers of this groove, I Will Follow. And we give a shout-out again to Miss Ava DuVernay. Check it out, people. This part here, a little music. We're going to dedicate this piece to the women who were killed during the march, the 7th. It was tragic. They had to die the way they did. Death is death. There's no righteous way for a person to go. But it doesn't, it's, I don't know. When I think about the women that, that just suffer, how they suffer, a man can't relate, even though a man has his own death that is just abominable himself. 
So this sec- this commercial, this little commercial break here, is brought to you by I Will Follow. We're going to dedicate this song here to the women that passed away, and by extension, the women around the world who are suffering the brutality as a result of the egos of others. This is dedicated to our women, Bamba's brothers, Bamba's sisters out there in Court d'Ivoire. Show the love.
that that is for the ladies who were gunned down tragically during that march. And so all the women of Fort Devois who I see in those images and videos of carrying things, you know, uh, packages on their head, their back, and with their children, it just really breaks my heart when I see those images. It really does. Again, because they're suffering at the egos of other people. But things have seemed to move forward in Cote d'Ivoire. Uh, I got word today that there is movement by Ouattara's troops through towards, uh, uni- uh, towards the capital of Abidjan. I believe they even got the capital of Abidjan. I'm not too sure. Let's get this information together for you. People, what are your thoughts on this? Just, you know, if you can say a prayer, you can, uh, you can make a donation. That place, I don't know. I don't have the information in front of me where you, where you can do that, but I'm sure there's ways you can help this. Even if it's just taking this radio station, which you know is available on demand, and posting it on Facebook that might want to know about Paul Tevar or have a way to figure, find out more information so they can tell somebody because social media means nothing if we're not being social with it. Now, I also got some other information here regarding the tragedy of the ladies because someone had emailed, had just texted me saying, you know, there's a, they want to hear a little more reports about the women killed during the march in Ivy Coast in Cote d'Ivoire against President Bagbo. So here we go. The deadly political fight unfolding in Ivory Coast has ratcheted up to a new level as security forces have begun firing on protesting women. Thursday, at least six women were killed, cut down by machine gun fire. UN officials are describing a harrowing scene in which forces are now turning to heavier weapons. Nearly 400 people have been killed since the unrest began three months ago. It's gotten so bad in some areas that some morgues are overflowing with bodies. At the center of it all is leader Laurent Bagbo, who is clinging to power following a contested election that international observers say he lost. The UN estimates that some 200,000 people have fled the intensified fighting. African leaders have tried to get Bagbo to step down, but he's rebuffed all efforts, including one from the U.S. There are now fears that the violence will increase even more, leading to more deaths and an even more dire refugee situation. Rita Foley, The Associated Press. My goodness. I mean, people, what's it going to take? You want to, if you want your name to remember, clinging on, clinging on to power isn't the way to do it. If you want your name to remember, relinquish the power, follow the voice of the people, and the damn it, when he lost, he stepped down and left. I mean, is there any other way to put it? Now, let's see if we can get you some information here. Bear with me. We are moving between two locations as we've talked to you. As we are actually, in case you didn't hear in the background, we are actually filming at the same time about 40 feet from me. So if you notice I've been coming in and out, now you have a good idea of what is going on here. Because, again, we're actually shooting a movie about 20 feet from me. So, again, I want to thank you for your patience. And I want to say a shout-out to all you guys back there will help me with my show by not making all that noise like you've done for some of my other friends who have done their groove. All right, let's lighten some things up here just a little bit, all right? Let's hear a little uh, 
Cote d'Ivoire music in our remaining 50 seconds. 50 seconds. 50 minutes here. Sorry about that. Hold on. For some reason, our network is not responsive, so let's give a little love this way. Enjoy. Yeah.
Uh, in terms of events that happened this morning, two giant developments. One is that the uh, leader of the army, the pro-Bagbo army, Philippe Mongou, who's been a, a very staunch supporter of Bagbo since the beginning of this crisis, uh, he, was, he sought refuge last night with his wife and family in the embassy of South Africa. This was, of course, confirmed just a few minutes ago by the South African government. Uh, other than that, over in Yupogon, which is the district that is most uh, closely allied with, uh, with Laurent Bagbo, and where most of his youth supporters are located, is under attack currently. Uh, from what we understand from witness reports and speaking to some of the fighters, is that this is an advanced party. This, uh, th these, those attacking uh, in Yupogon right now are actually pro Wasura fighters who started the day in Abidjan. They're going to be joined, uh, if we're to believe what their leaders say, by the main force coming south from Yamasukro in the coming hours. I think it's quite clear that they've given up on diplomacy. It's what we heard yesterday from Prime Minister Guillaume Soro. It's also what we heard from their uh, ambassador at the United Nations last night, is that diplomacy, the time for diplomacy is over. The negotiations have stalled. It's been four months since this election, and nothing has happened. Uh, the offer to have a ceasefire that was presented to a couple days ago, uh, as people think that this is a ploy, and they said, the time for talk is over, and they've actually advanced across this country very, a record amount of time. It's only four days ago that they were more than 500 kilometers away from this uh, cap, from this major city, and they have advanced across the country with almost no resistance. So the real question right now is, uh, has every, have all the pro troops fallen back to Abidjan, where they're going to make a final stand, or will Abidjan fall as quickly as all the other cities with virtually no resistance? Mm. Here in the center of the city. It, oh, it's, it's, it's coming on, people. Sorry about that. We had that thing loose. Oh, it's coming on, people. It's getting a little tense there. They got the capital city. That's a big coup. That's a big move. That's awesome. That is awesome. I, I really like to talk to my Ivorian brothers. Come on, Bamba. What's going on? I need you on air. I need your insight, brother. It's your homeland. What is up on that note? Again, I have another text message here. Actually, in the chat room. Hi, thank you for the awesome job. I listen to all your shows. Can you give us that song that a lot of Africans play? I think it comes from Cote d'Ivoire. I'm not too sure, but uh, I think it's called Gua. Uh, no problem. First off, thank you for the love. Thanks for tuning in. And I'll give you a shout-out on that song, if people don't mind, since, you know, it's almost an hour and 45 minutes. So let's give you a little, let's give you, a, uh, I believe, what is your third cut? Second reason to dance and do your groove. Have some fun.
Joining us now on the line from New York, New York, is James Traub. He is contributing writer for the New York Times Magazine and a columnist at foreignpolicy.com. And James, it's good to have you on the program again. How are you tonight? Fine. Happy to be here. Glad you are. Let's just, before we get our first question to you, go through a bit of background here because, quite frankly, Cote d'Ivoire is not on everybody's front burner all the time. So uh, I'll ask our director, Michael Smith, to start by bringing a map up. Here's Cote d'Ivoire, the former French colony located in Western Africa, bordering the North Atlantic Ocean between Ghana and Liberia. In terms of size, it's a little larger than the American state, New Mexico. The capital is that city in the middle, Yamasucro. The largest city is Abidjan in the south. Population 21 million, and this country produces 40% of the world's cocoa crop, a major exporter of bananas, coffee, cotton, palm oil, pineapples, rubber, uh, tropical wood products, and tuna and was apparently remarkably stable from its independence from France in 1960 until the coup in late 1999, followed by civil war, and the place has been uh, quite a mess since then. James, just before the first question, here's something that you wrote in uh, Foreign Policy back um, a week ago. A stare-down in a remote and not very consequential corner of the world has become a test of that noble but vague entity known as the international community. The confrontation pits Laurent Bagbo, the strongman leader of the Ivory Coast, Côte d'Ivoire, who has refused to step down despite losing an election last November against the United States, France, and an array of international organizations. The United Nations, the World Bank, the African Union, and the West African regional body known as ECOWAS. It sounds like an extremely unequal confrontation, but six weeks after the election, Bagbo still occupies the presidential palace and shows no intention of leaving. So let's start there, James. Why isn't he going? Well, because he thinks he doesn't have to and because he doesn't want to. Uh, it's not as if we haven't seen this movie before. This is, after all, what Robert Mugabe has done in Zimbabwe. And look, Mugabe is still there. Part of a power-sharing government effectively controls the country. Bagbo, who I have been in the same room with but never met, so what I say about him is from talking to other people, is not only an extremely wily and extremely ruthless politician, he has a sense of his own destiny as the authentic leader of Cote d'Ivoire, and he just takes it for granted that he is the man who was supposed to lead that country. The fact that he lost an election to him is simply a minor detail. He's not going to let that stand in his way. So with all of these international forces arrayed against him, how is it actually that he's able to hang on to power? Well, again, it's like, it, I mean, any number of African dictators, in effect, have dared the world, come and get me if you're willing to, and they almost never are. And so as long as you still have your security forces around you, you can resist almost anything short of some kind of military operation. And he knows that even though this organization you, you mentioned, ECOWAS, which is a West African regional body, has threatened to use military force if Bagbo refuses to step down, I think he probably recognizes they don't want to send their armies up against his. So at this point, it's a kind of waiting game. As long as Bagbo can still earn enough revenue to pay off his security forces and to pay off at least an essential core of civil servants to keep the most basic government services running, uh, he can stay there. And so he is there occupying the throne of government. Uh, in a squalid hotel across Abidjan is uh, uh, Alassane Ouattara, who won the election, but is powerless to unseat 
uh, Bagbo, and so far all attempts at pressure by the international community to get Bagbo to go peacefully have failed. You know, from time to time, th these guys either leave or are forced to leave, and we saw just very recently the popular uprising in Tunisia overthrow an authoritarian president. Why do you suppose that hasn't happened in Cote d'Ivoire yet? Well, here's a crucial difference between Ben Ali of Tunisia and Bagbo of the Ivory Coast. Bagbo is a politician. He was elected. He is seen as the tribune of a very large fraction of that country, essentially its southern half. He won 44% of the vote. So let's say 40-some-odd percent of people in Cote d'Ivoire view him as the legitimate leader of the country. Ben Ali was an authoritarian ruler who had no political base of his own. His base came from having satisfied people's economic aspirations. The moment he stopped doing that, because he had no democratic support whatsoever and no real ethnic or national support, he had no support. And so what happened in the case of Ben Ali was that once the, the people went to the streets, everybody opposed him. It was this one man against everybody else. That's not true at all in the Ivory Coast. The Ivory Coast is genuinely divided right now. Hmm. Now, the international community is well known for making a lot of noise, but not in fact being able to do anything in situations like this. But what have they tried to do to get Bagbo to step down? Well, they've done the right things. I mean, they have, they have clamped whatever sanctions on him, on the government generally, and on him and other individuals specifically, that they can. And so uh, the World Bank has uh, basically called in its loans. Uh, the United States, EU, and other individual Western countries have put sanctions on these folks. Uh, so in theory, Bogbo ought not be able to earn enough money to be able to pay folks. But he has the advantage. You, you uh, uh, reeled off that long list of exports, the most important of which are first cocoa, and then one I think maybe you didn't mention, which is oil. And so oil is uh, a, a national uh, uh, enterprise, as it is in many African countries, and so that revenue goes directly to the state. Then in the case of cocoa, these are private companies, but they pay significant customs duties. And so what Bogbo has done, there was an article about this in today's New York Times, is he basically has threatened these guys physically, uh, that they have to pay him, they have to pay him upfront taxes they might be paying later, uh, banks have to keep uh, uh, servicing his accounts and funneling cash to the government. I threat of physical harm, of, of death. I mean, basically he's saying, pay me or I'll kill you. Uh, and so, so far, he seems to be able to get up the scratch. It, it, there's some disagreement. Does he need $50 million a month? Does he need $100 million a month? Presumably that depends on uh, how broad a set of services he wants to keep going. So far, he's been able to do that. Now, that may not last. Those guys may finally say, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to pay you. I'm willing to take that risk. The moment that happens, if he can't pay his security forces, he's cooked. Then he has no choice. He's going to have to step down. Let me read another excerpt from your piece in Foreign Policy. This is the hour of Europe, Luxembourg's foreign minister said, as violence flared in the Balkans in 1991. Europe failed. A decade later, the atrocities in Darfur, Sudan, challenged the commitment to never again stand by in the face of genocide, as countries had in Rwanda. This time, the whole world failed, and the failure came to be understood paradigmatically. The international community is not prepared to use force to stop atrocities carried out as a conscious instrument of state policy. Uh, I, I guess, is the lesson for Bagbo that when push comes to shove, the international community, in fact, will not respond militarily to do anything about that's, him? 
that's what he thinks. And, you know, there are interesting counterexamples to that, that ECOWAS actually has been quite active in that regard. And both in the case of Sierra Leone and in the case of Liberia, they sent troops, almost entirely Nigerian, into those countries in the face of chaos and atrocities. So it's not unimaginable that they would do that. Now, Cote d'Ivoire, though, in Cote d'Ivoire, you're not facing a bunch of ragtag, drug-crazed gangsters. You're facing an army. Now, Cote d'Ivoire's army is not particularly large or effective by African standards, but it's an army. And so you could have a tremendously bloody combat. And I'm really skeptical that the principal governments of ECOWAS, and again, in effect, we're really talking about Nigeria, which very much calls the shots there, I cannot believe that they are prepared to send significant numbers of soldiers, perhaps to their death, in order to unseat this one guy. This is, after all, it is not as if he's committing atrocities. He has probably committed some terrible crimes. Somewhere on the order of 200 people have been killed by his security forces, formal and informal, uh, since the beginning of this political tension. Uh, but it's not like a fellow like Charles Taylor in, in Liberia uh, or a case like uh, Darfur, for example. And having said that, how would you know, citizens in Cote d'Ivoire themselves react to foreign troops coming onto their soil to effect a change in government? It, hugely divided. The northerners who support Alassane Ouattara would be delighted, and they've been begging some kind of international force to come in. The southerners, though, uh, would almost certainly see this as a violation of their national sovereignty. Now, if such a thing is going to happen, it is far better that it be an African force than that it be an international force that is, is significantly Western. And I think this has been the key to uh, a lot of these crises in Africa. How does the neighborhood react? And so, for example, a couple of years back when you had a disputed election in Kenya, you had a, a, an immediate rallying of African diplomats who were able to go there and at least diffuse the tensions far enough that a terrible spasm of violence didn't turn into genuine atrocities. Uh, on the other hand, in the case of Darfur, or in the case of uh, Zimbabwe, in the end the neighbors were unwilling to, to really react, uh, and so nothing happened. You concluded your piece by saying that this crisis in Cote d'Ivoire is quote-unquote Africa's hour. What did you mean by that? Well, I, I was harking back to that quote I used before about the hour of Europe, which turned out to be just hot air. But now, when you say this cannot stand and we will do whatever needs to be done to ensure that it cannot stand, well, you've really, you've really thrown down the gauntlet. And so you have to show that you have the kind of political will and institutional muscle to prevent a violation of the most basic standards. That is, Africa is seeking to in increasingly enshrine democratic standards. And it has these institutions like the African Union and ECOWAS and others uh, that are at least officially dedicated to advancing democratic principles. This guy is behaving with complete contempt for those principles. And so these organizations have said, we won't let this happen. Well, so what happens if Bagbo wins? That's a way of saying that all these institutions and all these claims, it's just a paper tiger. So what short of military intervention can they do that they haven't done yet? Uh, I, think, I think one thing has to be clear, that there won't be any compromise permitted. 
Uh, I'm sure what Bagbo was, would like is what Mugabe succeeded in getting, which is a so-called unity government, where you basically force an unwilling political opponent into the clutches of one of these ruthless characters, and the next thing you know, the unity government is a sham, and the guy has now reinforced his own rule. The world has to make it absolutely clear to Bagbo that that is not going to happen. And so there's no value for him in waiting out Watara because he's not ultimately going to get that. So, so I think besides that, the best you can do now is in every way possible cut off his sources of financing. That's the key thing. If he can't make this $50 to $100, a month, $100 million a month, he's going to have no choice but to step down. I, I'm not sure I mean this facetiously. I think I mean this seriously, although this is a kind of a radical suggestion here. But uh, understandably, if the neighbors don't want to send their troops in to remove this guy because they're afraid that their troops are going to be killed in the hundreds, if not in the thousands, uh, has anybody thought about sending hit teams in and just taking this guy out? Well, you know, the yeah. answer is no. But beyond that, again, remember, it's not just a guy. I mean, this guy has now taken, uh, uh, he's deeply divided this country. And there's the real danger of, there has been for quite a while, a danger of civil war in Cote d'Ivoire. And so I think if you have, I don't know, some kind of G.I. Joe international hit team going in there and take, even if they succeeded, I think that would cause a tremendous uproar. Wouldn't it all be like getting Ben Ali out of Tunisia? So it has to be some kind of negotiated settlement in which Bagbo is ultimately seen as stepping down voluntarily, even if under enormous pressure. Uh, but, you know, ultimately, is he going to force a situation where the only choice is going to be some kind of military action? It's possible he will. I, I think that would be a good thing if, it were, if that were the choice, but I think it's unlikely to happen. In our last minute, James, given what you've learned about the place and your reporting, how much backbone do you see in Africa's leaders to do what you feel needs to be done in order that uh, justice prevail here? You know, right now they're all talking a good game. Uh, and Cote d'Ivoire is not such a strategically important country. They can afford to alienate it. But it's also a matter of time. What if Bagbo is able to just basically sit there? Ultimately, will those institutions and those leaders have enough patience to wait him out? I, I don't think so. I think Bagbo may calculate that if he can last long enough, then they'll cave. As always, James, we appreciate your visits to our program. James Traub, contributing writer, New York Times Magazine, and at foreignpolicy.com. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Well, thank you. Talking about, it. but he he brought up a little point. He brought up a point there. Now you know, Ekowa, Yeah, okay, whatever. You know, we we know how they get down. But let me tell you right now, if Watara caught him, caught him the Angolans. Well, I bet you Bagbo he'd be out by five o'clock on the next canoe across the river to Liberia, because the Angolans. You know, the average age of the Angolan army is about oh, 21 to 30, and for most of their lives they were fighting Savimbi. They're one of the best armies on the continent. Oh wait a minute, that's siren. Don't worry. No one's coming to look for me. I'm here. Everything is fine. Hey, where's my suitcase, just in case? But anyway, very, 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 very interesting points there, particularly about the hit team. That, could you imagine? Oh, that's all, that's all the Southerners would have to hear. Oh, there's an international conspiracy. But again, as we reported earlier, 
before we go to our next commercial break. As reported earlier, Watara's loyalists seized capital, have seized the capital of Ivory Coast, or Cote d'Ivoire. In fact, I have a text message here from someone from Miami. How many people down Miami, my God, that says they had wanted to, want to know if I could replay or rebroadcast that brief clip, it was about a minute long, that was reporting what power loyalists have seized the capital of Ivory Coast, of course, they bought. I will do that, and after that, we will do a dedicated musical break. So here we go. This is what's going on with Watara's people rolling down to the Southern Territories, Gary some Business. Here in the center of the city in the business there is an eerie calm. Uh, every single store is closed. There isn't a car on the road. No pedestrians whatsoever. And even the roadblocks that we've seen over the last few weeks that have been set up, most like Bo Bagbo youth have been abandoned themselves. Uh, everyone is anticipating this advance, and we're not sure when it's going to meet the, the, uh, the reach the center of the city. We, of course, are beside the presidential palace where we think might the, the final showdown may go down. Uh, in terms of events that happened this morning, two giant developments. One is that the uh, leader of the army, the pro-Bagbo army, Philippe Mongou, who's been a, a very staunch supporter of Bagbo since the beginning of this crisis, uh, he, was, he sought refuge last night with his wife and family in the embassy of South Africa. This was, of course, confirmed just a few minutes ago by the South African government. Uh, other than that, over in Yupogon, which is the district that is most uh, closely allied with, uh, with Laurent Bag and where most of his youth supporters are located, is under attack currently. Uh, from what we understand from witness reports and speaking to some of the fighters, is that this is an advanced party. This, uh, th- these, those attacking in Yupogon right now are actually pro watera fighters who started the day in Abidjan. They're going to be joined, uh, if we're to believe what their leaders say, by the main force coming south from Yamasukro in the coming hours. I think it's quite clear that they've given up on diplomacy. It's what we heard yesterday from Prime Minister Guillaume Soro. It's also what we heard from their uh, ambassador at the United Nations last night, is that diplomacy, the time for diplomacy is over. The negotiations have stalled. It's been four months since this election, and nothing has happened. Uh, the offer to have a ceasefire that was presented to Bagbo a couple days ago, uh, as people think that this is a ploy, and they said the time for talk is over, and they've actually advanced across this country very, a record amount of time. It's only four days ago that they were more than 500 kilometers away from this uh, cap, from this major city, and they have advanced across the country with almost no resistance. So the real question right now is, uh, has every, have all the post troops fallen back to Abidjan, where they're going to make a final stand, or will Abidjan fall as quickly as all the other cities with virtually no resistance? And what do you think will happen? People, we do not know. But, again, Watara is on the move heading south. It should be very interesting. We'll try to keep – we'll definitely keep you up to date on our next show. I believe we have a schedule for Sunday. But it's time for our musical break here. People of the world, you know, we have to get down. So I think in that last song from Cote d'Ivoire, I heard the word Congo creeping into the cut. So what we're going to do is let's go to Congo for a little love here. Let's go a little old school. Let's go a little old school, like back in the day. Okay, I'm 47, so back in the day is a little different from these folks who are like 20. So back in the day for them, it was like maybe two months ago. So anyways, let's give a little dedication here to uh, from a good friend of mine. Her name is uh, Isabel Ndaya Kalubi. People, let me tell you, she fine. Like some hot pundu and some plantain just out of the stove, I'm telling you. But don't take it on my word. 
but just trust me when I tell you I am speaking the truth. We're going to dedicate this cut here to her dad, the great one, Kalubi Chunza, who's probably right now with God and giving him a lecture on Baluba culture, I will bet you. And right behind him is the ancestors. This guy, you know, very instrumental in the culture of, of DRC, very instrumental, a major player in the culture of the Baluba. You know, I'm half Baluba, half Bakusa, for those that didn't know, because some people think I'm actually from L.A. You out of your mind. <laughs> I ain't from L.A., all right? But this guy, let me tell you, beautiful family, beautiful wife, beautiful children. You know, in our culture, you could always tell the parents by the children. And the children are very righteous. You know, their family, uh, her dad and mom, well, way my dad and mom. So the, the dynamics are very unique. Again, we're going to go a little old school here, get down into the cut. Uh, let me see if I can get – I didn't take any Vicodin, so I can't roll like I want to roll. But if any of you Congolese out there, any of you Africans out there, and you got somebody around you over the age of 40, if you have the parents anywhere nearby or the tontons and uncles, watch them. So let's go back to the day here, spend a little love here, a little medulla system, who's probably up there next to him. I'm, t- I'm telling you right now, by Friday, I'm telling you, God's going to be saying Malukai. I'm telling you, mark my word, because this man was that powerful in the cut. So let's get down. We're going to get his dedication to he up there in the skies with the Lord and the ancestors getting down a little. And he's right next to Medulla system. So let's flow with a little Vera Kase. Sangui il est toujours difficile d'être aimé que d'aimer.
I'm telling you, by by Friday, God's going to be like Malachi, like Malabimpa. I'm telling you, mark my words, they'll probably be moose-watching next Easter Sunday. I'm telling you, I got a few text messages and emails. I can tell there's some Congolese out there, some Africans, because they're saying to me, I'm sorry for laughing, but they say, wait a minute, how would you describe this woman? Again, the dedication came from the gorgeous Isabella Diakalubi and the family people, but she wanted that specific dedication. Let me tell you, our culture, you know, it's not just about us. We have to represent the culture, the family. And if you never met this gentleman, meet the family, you're meeting him because you see how they were raised. I'm telling you straight up, you know, her family and my family go way back to the cut. But, hey, again, this was a shout-out to him. It was old school. You felt that little rumble in there, the horns. I'm telling you, I, I had to do my little thing. So but I don't want to miss out, you know, when the song's over and I missed the switchboard and I had to come back and do my stuff. But I got a few emails and texts from the text messages of the chat. The chat's ghost, so you can't see other people on there, but it comes directly to me. And they're like, wait a minute, again, can you describe this woman the way you did? I said, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. I'll say it again. She fine, I'm telling you, like some fresh pondu and some hot plantain, and you could put some beignet on top. I'm telling you, she that bad. If you don't believe me, trust me when I tell you, I'm speaking the truth. All right? So, people, we have a minute left here. And that's what people saying behind me, saying, what did you say? I'm like, they know what I'm talking about. Anyways, we have a minute left here. It was about Cote d'Ivoire. People, show the love. Support them. They're doing their thing. You know, Quatara is like, look, if I can't do it, no one can. It's like Congo. If we're going to take care of our business, we should take care of it. The Congolese voice, everybody gets behind us because with us and God, everybody's behind us. Because with God, we can do anything we want. So let's let's take this off the air with a little cut here. Uh, let's go deep into the cut here. All right. Like what Tara said, he said, you know what? It's time. It's it's, it's not time. We can't talk anymore. If if I can't do it, no one can. Fifty, take it off air. I'm gone. So I can catch it. Bring it live and direct. I am.
that, people. I'm getting a lot of questions from a lot of Congolese. So the Congolese are saying, hey, look, sorry, we already know the show's over. Can you give us one cut? I have like 40 text messages. Sorry, one cut for the Congolese, please, because they're going. First off, they're like, hey, wait a minute. Just one. I said, okay, fine. So, look, we're already off. I rarely do this, but you know, for the DRC, you know, well, I'm helping. I'm a man, Bamba, who's from Cote d'Ivoire. I know where you've been, Bamba. I know how it feels when you wonder when people are standing, are just standing around talking about other tragedies out there and other conflicts as with our brothers and sisters up there in North Africa. But, hey, I know what it's like. Just take your pain and your anguish and turn it into advocacy and never think you're standing by yourself. This whole show, hour and a half, was for your country. You are our brothers and sisters. You are your fine sister, your fine lady. I can never pronounce her first name. But, hey, you two are a beautiful couple. You represent the culture. So it's for you guys, man. So do what you do. Anything I can do, you let me know. I help you guys out. Now I have to take care of my Congolese people up here because they're saying, hey, you know, what about the youth? What about the youth? What about the youth? You know, there was a nice cut from back in the day. I can't remember. I think it was a I Love Congo. Uh, very popular. I think Vodacom was behind it. So let's let that take that off the air. If I'm still on air, I don't know. But I'm going to do this for you guys anyways because a lot of Congolese, when they heard the beignet part, they're like, oh, this man is definitely from the village. So anyways, here we go. I love Congo. So I love that. People, I'm done because, you know, we're off there anyway. Much love. Peace out.
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.